All right, welcome back to another uh, exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. Tonight, it's time for Remember This Crap with uh, me, Andy, and Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you doing? Hey, Andy. How are you? Oh, that was perfect. Well-timed. Yeah. I was reminded by somebody that I did that last year at the beginning and figured I'd bring it back. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, so. we do requests. <laughs> That's right. Mike, of course, is um, on Twitter at at H-U-E. C-U-B, U-Cub. So, so far in this, we have basically just started off with whoever the Bears opponent for the week is, and we're going to do it again, even though it's the uh, Atlanta Falcons, who, one of the least interesting uh, pro sports franchises ever. Pretty much. Um, so, I was going to ask you, just to get things started, if if you remember, well, you wouldn't remember this because it's before us, but if you know who the very first quarterback in Atlanta Falcons history was, apparently he was a two-sport star, and I had no idea. Well, it would it would have been a little bit too late for Jackie Jensen, who <laughs> Trivial Pursuit in the early 80s taught me was a uh, M- American League MVP for the Red Sox and played in the Rose Bowl, um, but he was in the 50s. Atlanta's first season was 66. Two-sport athlete. What was the other sport? Baseball? Yeah, baseball. Well, much later. So now I'm questioning whether it's the same guy. But uh, same Interesting. Name. I'm not even going to fathom. Randy Johnson. <laughs> might not might not be the same Randy Johnson. Uh, but I did. I teased you before we started that they have a guy with one of my all-time favorite names. He started four games for them in 1973. He came back. No, he started uh, three games in 71, and then four games in 73. His name, Dick Shiner. <laughs> Man, that's rough. You don't, you don't say, oh, Richard Shiner, huh? Like now, his parents didn't know what they were. One of the things about the Falcons, though, is starting in about, uh, I don't want to be that generous, from 1997 to now, They've actually had a pretty impressive run of quarterbacks. Um, and uh, how many more former Bears? Just one, I think. Chandler took him to the Super Bowl. Yep. So before Chris, he, before his concussed self, so showed up in Chicago. From '97 to '01, Chris Chandler. Uh, '02, Mike Vick shows up, uh, gets hurt in '03, and Kurt Kittner gets forced. You have I. Uh, so you get Vic until um, uh, 06 um, when uh, they found out that uh, he was a complete scumbag and was doing horrible things to dogs. So that's the break in the good quarterback. Um, and it turns out to be a, a, actually a benefit for them long term. 07, they have to go with the three-headed monster of Joey Harrington, Chris Redman, and Byron Leftwich. But then they draft Matt Ryan, and they've had Matt Ryan ever since. So basically all but one year, their quarterback has either been a, yeah, a pre-concussed Chris Chandler, Mike Vick, or Matt Ryan. I think Bear fans would uh, would die once again, for anything approaching. Once again. Well, it's all so about quarterback talked, envy. Well, and, you know, but we all, interestingly, I'm going to assume that Ryan's probably there. You know, we also happen to mention that the Bears themselves uh, and Cutler have – a recent quarterback as the record holder, as I believe their week one opponent, uh, 
by now, I I, I got to imagine that um, Stafford is the Lions' all-time leading passer. And I learned last week that Eli is the all-time Giants. Yep. It's obviously more into the modern game, but I have to think by now, Ryan has been there so long, he's got to be uh, number one in Atlanta. Uh, let's see. It's one click away here. You are and, correct. You know, Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even realize until the other day how long he's actually been in the league. He's thrown for 51,000 yards. Wow. He's, he's got to be the all-time high for a Boston College quarterback. Um, all right, so who's their all-time leading wow. rusher? They're not going to guess this. Uh, okay. Their, so, running, their I, list of running backs is not as distinguished. Well, list. so when I came on the scene, and we're going to jump all over because the, there are a couple of things I want to get out here that even predate our own experience. Some funny facts about the Falcons, and you're right. The first two weeks, we did the Lions, we did the Giants, both of whom have histories as rich as the the Bears. Not as interesting, perhaps, as Atlanta. They haven't been around as long. Um, I came around, like I've said, 1979. Actually, their first good era until that point they were no better than the saints and the saints continued to be a laughing stock for another decade from that point but the lions were no uh no more distinguished than atlanta uh but i remember being you know coming out of the scene and they were good they were making the playoffs a few years uh because steve barkowski was at their quarterback i'm gonna guess that they're running back there he seemed to be a premier running back I'm, he's gonna be my guess for and i have a second guess in case i'm wrong for all-time leading rusher and that'd be william andrews that is not correct is it Gerald Riggs yes. who came after Andrews? Okay. It's Gerald okay. Riggs. 6,600 6, yards. That seems kind of low. 6,600? 6, okay. A, well, just year. like how the Bears the Bears suck at quarterback, uh, I'm going to say that the Bears might have three guys at running back that would have exceeded that. Obviously, Peyton, 16,000. Matt Forte had an Eclipse 6, right? Yeah. And Neil may have. Neil had close to 3,000-yard seasons and hung around for a while. But I guess the real question I'm, is, did Gale have more yards? Uh, I'm going to guess no. I'm going to guess no just because his I mean, injury was, was like his career was short. No, nope, 4,956. So he'd be the second okay. Falcon all-time rusher in 68 yeah. games. And so Gerald Riggs was pretty – you remember Gerald Riggs. I do. My Gerald Riggs memory – because, of course, they have to bring it back to the Bears. Um, everyone remembers when the Bears, and it was a complete, absolute, orgasmic game when they went into Dallas and uh, and thumped the Cowboys 44 nothing. Not everyone does remember. So the following week, and I was fortunate enough to be in attendance in this game, they're at home against the woeful Atlanta team, and uh, and they beat them 36 to nothing. So in back-to-back weeks, the Bears had won two games 80 to nothing. It was David in Archer. That game, I was going to say, was it Hugh Millen? Or was it Although, Hugh given Millen those Bears, it was probably three guys because they would just – all of your quarterbacks had to play because they were all going to be hurt. If you could find him, right, if that was the only wild card. Um, right. But in, eight, on the in, 80, in 85, uh, the fridge was getting more snaps. William Perry, you know, he was drafted and Buddy Ryan dismissed it because he was out of shape and he just wanted, you know – to express his displeasure, but eventually there's no denying, even though he was huge, he was young and he was still pretty athletic. So this was the game too. I remember that during on the broadcast, they were showing video of fridge jumping up and down on a, on a table that was about 
four feet off the ground. Yeah. So at least, at least until his size caught up with him, you know, he was young and, uh, and there was a play Gerald Riggs, who was a good running back, even though, um, you know, having the distinction of being the, the Falcons ultimately leading rusher might not be all it's cracked up to be, but he was good, especially around 85. And there, and he, uh, he took a handoff and was trying to get around end and Perry actually ran him down from behind. Hmm. And it was kind of one of those things where like, wow, maybe he's not just, you know, turned out he was kind of fat though, because you, you couldn't, you couldn't maintain his playing condition. Um, but the Falcons were woeful there. One thing I wanted just to just to sort of have a laugh at, and I remember this as a kid, uh, and we t- we referenced NFL films last week. We talked about Ali Sherman, and thinking about it more, it kind of occurred to me how much NFL films like educated me on football all throughout <laughs> yeah. the eighties. Like I devoured every single like the clip on Sonny Jurgensen and how you know George Allen was a real dick to him and uh you know some of the more obscure uh obscure ones and there was one and i don't, I don't know if it was in their football follies which was kind of like their award show type of thing they had for a couple of years but atlanta being woeful from the start uh by 1973 they had a running back by the name of dave hampton okay and he was pretty good running back um and he and he um and i learned this on nfl films and just to make sure that my memory wasn't playing tricks on me i went to youtube and there are like other productions of this so it's i would encourage you to take a look it's pretty funny uh they had nothing to really cheer for but um hampton was a good running back and he was on the verge of a thousand yards which in a 14 game season was even more significant than it is now um and and at halftime they honored him as the player of the game apparently and then in the fourth quarter (laughs) He broke over the thousand yard mark. They stopped the game. They had a quick ser- in the middle of the game. Had a quick ceremony. It was a meaningless game, I'm sure. At least from Atlanta's perspective. I don't think their opponent. I didn't know who it was. Uh, I don't think it mattered. Um, and they stopped the game at that point. And they give him the game ball, thousand yard rusher on the very. I don't know if it was the very next play, but on a subsequent play, he gets dropped for a four yard loss. <laughs> And he doesn't get another hand up. The game. The clock runs out, and he ends oh. up with like 996 yards. So. <laughs> And you know, it's I like to have a laugh at that. That's that was the Atlanta Falcons history until Bartkowski and William, William Anders, and then it was short lived. But you're right; they've made two Super Bowl appearances, but it's a pretty boring franchise. It's kind of yeah. hard to make a you know make a lot out of that. Um, okay, so I, I it, David Archer was the quarterback in the game in '85. Uh, Good call. There was another. They played two quarterbacks. I know. Bob Holly also got to play quarterback. I wouldn't but, have come up with that. But the uh, the amazing stat, one that I don't know that I I, I was you know I, I never realized this. Do you know how many yards the Atlanta Falcons passed for in that game? <laughs> Is it minus seven? I think I may have known this because it might be something ridiculous like that. Well, it, their net passing yards. You know that's when you. Sacks. Subtract the sacks. It was sack minus yardage. 22. Okay, even But okay. they completed three of 17 passes for 16 yards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and two interceptions. <laughs> Gerald Riggs ran 30 times. He had 110 yards. He had to run 30 times to get it. The hard way. He got 100 yards. I mean, and they were getting killed, right? And it's like, what are we going to do? Just give the ball to Riggs. Like, they made no, you know, like I said, it was 36 nothing at some point. 16 attempts. I'm just wondering. They just decided to sacrifice poor old Gerald Riggs. Yeah, David Archer, two for 15 for 10 yards and two interceptions. Sacked three times. 
you know, I, we were spoiled because we were 12 and 13 respectively. And it's like, you, you see that and you just sort of expect that I think in, in some ways. And we almost took it for granted at the time. It's funny to like think back about like all of their opponents. I think we talked about it last year. Uh, the Joe Theismann game where he had the one yard punt. Uh, and, and, but, but another memory from that is after the game, he's being interviewed and like his eyes are like, they're like the size of, you know, uh, you know, coffee plates practically. And he's like, they're good. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he was, and he'd been around for a long time and he was like, he, like he'd seen a ghost. So, so many, so many of those games, the Go bears on. had, the bears had four rushing touchdowns in the game. Um, all of their running backs scored. Oh, so plus Walter another Payton, plus another player, Walter so, Payton and Matt Suey and Calvin Thomas. Oh, sorry, Thomas sorry, all Sanders. their all their halfbacks scored. Suey didn't score. Suey didn't score. Sorry, I was okay. So it, it, Calvin Thomas and Thomas Sanders and Payton, and then yep, and then another player a, on a rushing score. Yes, was it the fridge? It was yes. the fridge. It was yes, the fridge. to make it twenty to nothing in the second quarter. Yeah, it was peak fridge at that point in the season. And foreshadowing the Super Bowl, Henry Wachter got a safety. Another another safety. He tackled <laughs> Holly in the end zone in the fourth quarter. They had, uh, well, they had, including the Super Bowl, they had at least three safeties that year because they also had one in Green Bay in, in a uh, surprisingly low scoring ten to nine. They victory. spent a lot of time in the backfield. So, yeah. Yeah, like I said, kind of take it for granted now, but just to think like how I, I would probably enjoy, even though you might not get the the highly, you know, pixelated close-ups like you do today, to watch some of those games on YouTube and just like you're watching a quarterback that stands no chance, and they got to be somewhat terrified. So I think as a as a kid, I equated the Falcons with. Um, and I don't think it, I don't think he was even playing. It was NFL films. I just equated them with Billy White Shoes Johnson. Um, yep. And playing Almost, where the was... and playing where the Braves did. That was pretty much what I would have told you about the Falcons. Yeah. White Shoes Johnson. He was almost like a kind of like a Devin Hester of his day. He was a he was a receiver, but he was a punt returner, right? And he yeah. was pretty. Uh, flamboyant hence the nickname um i don't yeah i don't remember him from atlanta i think when we came around he was playing for houston yeah by then he played, played, i have eight he started his career for houston from 74 to 70 then i got that backwards that's when okay. he got that's when he got the nickname that's, that's when, okay that's when he did most of his damage as a returner he okay ran, he ran returned three punts and a kick for touchdowns in 75 uh two punts and a kick in 77 and then okay. for all of his time in Atlanta, which was um, 82 to 87. Wow. He played a long time then. Yeah. He only returned Pretty, one. He had one return touchdown. He had a punt return. That's because he went to Atlanta. And there, as we've established, nondescript. Right. That was probably bad. the worst worst place for, for him to go. So they weren't bad. They had that window that I've referenced to. And I want, I want to just circle back to that because there was a Bears game involved in that. And it was it's, it was kind of a source of, of, of pain for me. Um, and I have to relive it because, this, like we said, other, this is an otherwise sort of nondescript franchise. Uh, there is a history with the Bears that I'd like to get to also. It's a little more recent, uh, which I kind of enjoyed. But 
um, when they were briefly good after their first 13 years, they had Barkowski and Andrews, and I couldn't tell you who their wideouts were. I know they went to the playoffs a couple of years in a row. They didn't make a title game, but the Bears were on their schedule in 1980. I pulled this game up. I knew it was 1980. And the Bears have made the playoffs the year before and then kept shooting themselves in the foot. So they go into the game four and seven. So I guess, they've, you know, in retrospect, they, they were faintly alive. And meanwhile, Atlanta was eight and three charging towards uh, another playoff berth. Um, and what I remember about watching this game is, you know, you talked about how even though you might not remember it so much as much as it, it, you know it from a secondhand story about how angry you were when Bob Avellini threw an awful interception yeah. against Seattle. Kind of similar, although I do remember this, and it's one of my earliest like points of like absolute rage as a fan. Here's what happened. <clears throat> um, I don't know what point in the game it happened, but the Bears were fighting hard, right? And this is a good Atlanta team, and you know it's exciting. I've never seen him before. You heard about him. You see him on the weekly highlights, and now the Bears are playing him, and they're playing him tough, and they got a chance to go into a Fulton County Stadium and beat him. And at one point in the game, Peyton – uh, takes he's, they're down by the goal line and he gets there's a scrum he gets tackled near the goal line. there's a scrum and somewhere in the scrum somebody from Atlanta ripped the ball away and I you know there was no replay obviously and I but the replays that they showed us it kind of looked kind of clear that Peyton was down and and they dug it out and and Peyton was got so pissed and and, and was so uh, animated he got ejected uh, from the game might be what might be his only NFL ejection and it doesn't happen often no. in the NFL just watching that as a fan though you know how you know that especially when you're a kid mm-hmm. and you're, you're so consumed and you, you don't really know Atlanta but you, you hate them anyway because they're good and, and you have a chance to beat them and they pull that bullshit you know they they, <laughs> they, they steal the ball from Walter friggin Peyton and and on top of it he gets kicked out and I'm looking at the box score and it, it kind of validates that because Atlanta did win 28-17 by virtue of scoring 14 uh, fourth quarter points. So the Bears were leading that game uh, after three quarters. So, it, you know, unfortunately, pro football reference doesn't quite have the detail of going that far back as baseball as far as play-by-play or even tell you if there were ejections. Um, but uh, that's that's my Bears-Falcons memory from uh, my youth. See, I would have thought that with Peyton getting tossed – then that would have just become the Roland Harper game, and that would have been the game. <laughs> well, that's that's probably why I ended up with that jersey. Some sporting goods guy is like, "Ooh, that's the Bears running back." Yeah, well, yeah. Roland went uh, had nine carries for thirty nine yards, and that that was actually I looked at that to sort of deduce that my memory was correct. I, I know Peyton got ejected, but I would have liked if I saw that in the box score. But when you look at it, Peyton had twelve carries for forty yards. Harper had nine for thirty nine. So even if you didn't know about the ejection, you'd figure something happened in that game. Um, something yeah. happened in that game. Robin Earl caught a pass for six yards. <laughs> my first year of youth football, 1980, we used to have in our park district, a end of year, um, uh, end of year banquet. And yeah, 1980, that's uh, who they brought out. Goal number 81, Robin Earl spoke. <laughs> at, uh, like, hey, you, got, you guys see that? I caught, a, I caught a pass against the Falcons. Yeah, we, I know. <laughs> We all stopped watching when Walter got thrown out. We all went out to play. We were playing touch football in the yard. So no. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's that's about it. They they the Bears and Falcons began playing with some regularity. It's just the quirks of the schedule, and then with expansion in the '90s. Now you start to have a little bit of a history, but until then, there was really nothing to go off of. So what's the? I think I know what the recent memory is going to be. Um, I alluded to it last week, I believe. Okay. Well, no, so it's not what it is. Okay. Because okay. I, I, I have a terrible memory for 
for the so you talk about what you alluded to. I know that Michael Vick's not a Hall of Famer, and uh, and he was probably ultimately a disappointment, but he he was pretty good for a few years. Yeah, he was when at his peak, he was amazing. He was. He I remember he went into Green Bay in the playoffs in 02 and became the first, you know, got to beat the Packers at home since like before the Lombardi era uh in a playoff game. Um so and actually that kind of ties into like my thought here is that um in those years those were also basically peak Brian Urlacher years. I know we're both we're talking about two <laughs> two problematic players, but I'm strictly between the lines here. And it, it kind of felt like, I think in 2001, it was like their second game or so after 9-11. Uh, and I don't even think Vic was still start was starting yet, but he got into the game. And I, I just remember Erlacher making a couple tackles on him. Uh, and then I just looked it up. They basically would have faced off three times. The Bears won them all. But my image is basically Erlacher just basic, you know, just just hunting Vic down. He was the he was the neutralizer of Vic. And, you know, kind of his, I'm saying, was a great player for a couple of years at his peak. Uh, I like to think that the guy on uh, the guy on the Bears was sort of his kryptonite because he never quite solved him, and that was very satisfying. It, it just pointed out what an incredible athlete Erlacher was at his prime. Right, that he could because Vic was like a cheat code, and if you're out in space, nobody hit him and nobody hit him hard until then. And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this this will work. Yeah, uh, that, that, it, that's why it was so sad. And I think he got in his head too. I think you just like roaming back there kind of helped him shut down the passing game too. But yeah, he open field, and yeah, to have that to neutralize him. They're both, you know, Vic was an exciting player that could do damage, and he never did against the Bears. And I give credit uh, to Erlacher. I was at the game in '05, which was has to be one of the ten coldest games on record. It was a Sunday night, and might better be known as the game where Grossman came off the bench and made everyone realize why he was the choice because his very first pass was far from the wobblers we had been seeing for eleven weeks from Kyle Orton and he hit Moose Muhammad coming over the middle. And I was like, oh, wow, got a guy that can halfway throw the balls before we knew how maddeningly inconsistent he would be uh, in the future. But we're, a quick story, in this game, we were prepared, you know, we're from Chicago. We, you know, we, we're, you know, we know it's going to be about 12 degrees. It's going to be dark out. And so we're dressed for it. But there were four guys sitting behind us that were from Atlanta. And they were pretty funny guys. They were in town for, you know, they came in for, for work and they knew they're going to be, you know, doing something during the week. And uh, none of these guys had been in temperatures basically below like 28 degrees. The, the best part about it was that they were just complete dipshits. They just didn't know to, you know, how to dress for it. And I just I have this image in my head of turning around and looking behind at the guy's feet. He was just wearing regular wingtips. Oh. <laughs> He probably had to get him sawed off <laughs> after the game from frostbite. So, yeah, was, but that was another that was that was another game where Erlacher just kind of he was a menace for Vic. So that's that's my most positive Bears Falcons memory. So, when you brought that up, the th- the game I thought you were going to talk about, and it took me a second to place it, but I found it was I'll always remember it as the day we learned that Robbie Gold didn't know how to squib a kick. 2008 2008 so the great Kyle Orton mm-hmm. marches the Bears down mm-hmm. um, for the go-ahead touchdown with 17 seconds to go the play starts with 17 seconds to go so it looks like it finished 
it was it, it was a post to the corner. Was it Barian? Was he on the Bears then? It was Rashid Davis. Oh, good old Rashid Davis. Always had some clutch catches. Yes, and it had to be reviewed. I don't know why, but it was. It was it was in the corner towards like the rear pylon. It was an incredible play. I can still see it. Um, so the Bears go up and go to win. This is great. You know the the big comeback uh, because the what was this? It sucks. Um, Atlanta had just scored the possession prior. Right. It felt like the last four minutes of that game, if I remember correctly, was just this insane sort of swing. Four four possessions in the last five minutes or something stupid. Like whoever had the ball last. So um, Bears get the ball with 2.43 to go. The typical Kyle Orton drive, four-yard pass to Matt Forte. Ten-yard pass to Desmond Clark. Incomplete. Incomplete. Uh, Incomplete. No, they can't be right. Oh, there was pass Fourth interference. Down. Incomplete with pass interference. Another incomplete, but that's now it's first down, so it's second down. Uh, Three-yard pass to Matt Forte. Ten-yard pass to Matt Forte. Ten-yard pass to Rashid Davis. Um, 17 yards to Devin. Bears call timeout. And then they go incomplete, incomplete, and he's like, oh, they're screwed. But then the touchdown pass to Rashid Davis. At third down. Goal kicks the field goal, or kicks the extra point. Hot damn, Bears are going to win. What um, was the score at that point? Well, see, that's... I don't like Sorry. they don't put the score down by the play by play. Oh, like they do for baseball reference. They do it every half inning. I know. Well, see, that's why baseball is better Bastards. than football. Yeah. They just got it more together. So the Bears had gone up 20 to 19. They needed the touchdown, obviously. Yep. Okay. So you think, all right, game's over. Uh, Robbie Gold uh, just is going to squib it up the field, kill a little time, maybe give the Falcons one play. His kickoff <clears throat> uh, makes it all the way to the Atlanta 44. 36 the, yards. He, he's, wait, he, on the return, it ended up at the 44? Or the kick itself, kicking from back, which back then would have been his own 35? Uh, okay. Uh, it went to, it was a 10 yard return by Harry Douglas. He kicked it 36 okay. yards. Harry Douglas scoops it up. So a net gain of 26 yards on the kick. There's six seconds left. Yep. Matt Ryan finds Michael Jenkins for 26 yards right in front of Mike Brown. Mike Brown. Um, oh, Mike Brown shoves him out of bounds. I remember this now, which means, Hey, we yep. could kick a field goal. Jason Elam kicks field goal with one second to go. Falcons win. That would have probably been one of Mike Brown's last games. I'm surprised he was still playing that late. That's probably why he shoved him out of bounds. But I'm trying to – you're right. I, you didn't quite explain what Gold did wrong. I, I do remember now that – I just like remember you, that the um, – the, it functioned more like a long, bad onside kick. Usually with the, with the uh, squib, you get it over the first group – yeah. Let it bounce a little bit, make him chase it. What I remember was it basically kicked it right to Harry Douglas, who then okay. could go 10 yards and still leave time. But that wasn't, you know, that was bad. But then allowing a 26-yard uh, pass play to the sidelines and not being able to keep a guy in bounds is what cost well, him. Well, my guess is he probably had Brown, He probably had the coverage beat, and it was like Brown really had a chance to All I remember is that keep was, him in bounds. All I remember is it was bad. I was very mad that I still remember that. 
I just couldn't replace the year, but I remember the game. Twelve years later, I'm still pissed. That's no, that was a tough one, man. And you know what? The Bears missed the playoffs uh, in the last week of the season. They would have been. I mean, not that it would have mattered, but whatever. I'd rather be in the playoffs than not. So uh, that's a real. That's a genuine. I just, uh, that's a genuine pain point. I just felt bad that Lovey uh, lost to his brother Mike. <laughs> that's got to be tough at Thanksgiving. Right, right. I mean, not quite Harbaugh Super Bowl bad, but you know, yeah, it did pretty, not. Lovey pretty close. I would think. Poor Lovey. Didn't even want to go see Mike after that. Who's your favorite Falcons coach, Andy? Um. Well, the easy answer is um, is Jerry Glanville, but um. Who was the guy? Like there was a. I gotta look this up now, because I can picture him, which does us no good. Because is it Marion Campbell? This is an audio. It probably is. Um, was, it, was it June Jones? Well, I did like to. Yeah, maybe it was Dan Henning. No. Um, <laughs> Lehman Bennett. Jim Hannafin was my favorite. Was he ever the head coach? I don't. I don't. I Hannafin with the Cardinals. Yeah, and he was the head coach of the Cardinals. Uh, Jim Hannafin. Actually, I think Hannafin may have been on Joe Gibbs' staff. Don't quote me on that. Oh, I know who it was. It was Norb Hecker. No, that was their first coach. (laughs) They've had some doozies. Uh, I think I was thinking of Marion Campbell. Um, But they had uh, Norb Hecker. They had Norm Van Brocklin. So they had the Flying flying Dutchman for seven years. Uh, He was 37, 49, and three, which is probably why. Marion Campbell only lasted three years. Um, Marion Campbell came back too. I want to say in the eighties. Yeah. He might, couldn't have been three full years because he won. Uh, he was six and nineteen, and I know three seasons of football is not twenty-five games. So he he must have got replaced well, by Pat Pepler. They okay. had Lehman Bennett. They had Dan Henning. Marion Campbell came back. Yes, yep. much more successful the second time. Uh, he was eleven and thirty-two in two seasons, or three. I guess that's three seasons. Then Jim Hannafin. Oh, he was a you're inter- right. He was an interim. Okay, he had a run on four. Oh, Marion got Marion got canned in season twice. So that's <laughs> then Jerry Glanville for all the shit that we used to listen to him and the not NFL not for long and all that stuff. His career record twenty seven and thirty seven. I mean, with Atlanta, he may have uh, he oh, have, may have closed the gap on the five hundred mark in Houston. Because he took that to the playoffs. He took the Falcons to the playoffs. They did. They played two playoff games, which um, they had for only them. ever played four in their existence. So yes, four suppose... games, four four games, or in four parts, four seasons. No, four games, a three seasons. Okay, okay, uh, all under Lehman Bennett. Yep, 79, 80, and eighty-one is my guess. Yeah, he was the uh, UPI, the United Press International NFL Coach of the Year in nineteen seventy-seven and nineteen eighty. Interesting. So there you go. Couldn't get past the uh, the Cowboys or the yeah, Eagles. The, the June Jones years. That was uh, there was Jeff George involved. In he that. took him to the playoffs. They lost to the Packers in '95. Yeah, yeah George, he, George at the helm. He was 19 and 29 in three seasons there. Wait, it was Bennett had to be a winning coach, and at this point, based on what you've gone through, he'd be the only one, I, I believe. They Although, did not have a. They didn't have this, a coach who who left there with a winning record for them. Until we're going to count Wade Phillips because he was interim for three games. Okay. No, Dan Reeves was 49, 59, and one. <laughs> wow. Um, was it the aforementioned? He coached, uh, he coached him in five playoff games and, um, and a Super Bowl. So yes, he gets the credit for that. But he still had a losing record. Not until the other Jim Mora did a, Jim coach, ah. did a coach leave there with a winning record. And it wasn't much. 
He was he had a five forty two winning percentage. Eked out over what three seasons? Four seasons? Three. Maybe more. Three. He took him to the title game uh in Did you go to the Seahawks then? Is that what he did? Yeah. And then they yeah. said, All right, we would rather have Pete Carroll, so go away. Um maybe. Although I feel like I'm remembering that. Didn't he try well, he to took- take the University of Washington job? God, see, this is why this podcast is so good. It's a bunch of, didn't that happen? <laughs> we, we, we usually end up circling around it. I like so. that his middle and his, his name is, to, to differentiate him from his dad, he's Jim L. Mora. The L, of course, is for loser. Yes, except uh, he was more successful than his dad. I mentioned last week about the odd fact up until Marvin Lewis came around that Ali Sherman, Buddy Ryan, and Jim Morris Sr. are the only three uh, coaches to have ever been in three postseasons but never to have won a playoff game. Again, Marvin Lewis has blown that record away, and they may have been joined by one or two others since I won the T-shirt on AM1000 for guessing uh, <laughs> Buddy, Buddy Ryan and Jim. Interestingly, both Buddy have sons that did win a playoff game. So put that in your pipe. All right. So um, Jim Mora got little Jim Mora got fired by the Falcons. Um, I mean, he took him the, to the title. He took him to the NFC title game in 2004. It seems awfully abrupt. If he was only there three years, that might have been his first year that he took him there. Okay, this, it's all coming together. He basically got fired for going on the radio in Seattle. And saying that if he was offered the University of Washington job, he would take it. Um, wow, what a dumbass. Arthur Blank publicly expressed his disapproval of Morris' comments, and following the season, they fired him. And Arthur Blank what? told the media, this was an extremely difficult decision for us. We had the highest hopes and aspirations for a long run with Jim as our coach, but we feel this decision is best long-term as blah, 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 blah. In other words, if he wants to go to fucking Seattle, he can go. So he did go to Seattle. He went to be assistant head coach and defensive back coach for Holmgren. Okay. Holmgren coached that season, then um, either retired or took off to be the Niners GM, and Mora became the coach of the Seahawks. So I kind of remembered that almost right. Wait, so then we have to go back to last week and correct something when you referenced that game. Uh, oh, no, we don't correct things. We just, we just plow ahead. Right. Okay, what did no. I get wrong? 2010, the game that gave Chuck Gittles agita when Lovey mishandled uh, the, cl- the clock uh, the clock before halftime, the timeouts, the playoff game between the Bears and the Seahawks. You referenced that as a Mike Holmgren game, but then that wouldn't uh, – Holmgren probably wasn't in uh, – was it – was well, Pete no, Carroll already – So it wouldn't have been – the Bears beat the Bears beat it, that was a whole game. You're talking about it the 2006 wasn't, it wasn't game. that year. Yeah, it must have been 06. I got never mind then. Okay. Yeah, it was Super Bowl year. So yeah, yeah, we got that right. But Lovey was the coach in both games. They beat the Seahawks twice. Yes. but they only beat Homegrown once. Right. In, in fact, there wasn't that the thing that Lovey only won three playoff games ever. Uh, Two of them beat, were against the Seahawks, and they didn't have a winning record in either. I think they were 501 and under 500 in the other. So he beat one above 500 right. team ever in the playoffs. It was the Saints. Sean, Sean Payton and the Saints. In what is a – I want to watch that game again because that game is cool. I mean – The 2006 game, absolutely. And it's I actually, can't find it anymore. I want I, I to do a distant replay when I, back when there were no games being played or whatever I call it. They didn't call it distant replay. That not that uh, – What's That's his name? Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Kramer's. Kramer. Uh, what did I call mine? The, the Packers. The distant replay or, or I don't know. Whatever I called. That's, uh, that's how good the segment was. I don't remember what I called it. 
but I wanted to do one on that game, and I couldn't find an. I couldn't find it on YouTube to watch to, 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 the whole thing. There was like one that's like a twenty minute highlight thing of it, which is cool. Yeah, but I can't do the. whole I'd like thing. to see that game. I was there, you know, and I you, I point to that game, the Seahawks game is like. I found myself defending Rex Grossman only because the reaction against him was so outsized. Not that I was a fan of his, but I just thought like the takes were so, you know, um, uh, extreme. And I would remind people that they were losing in that game in the fourth quarter before, you know, Grossman led, say what you want, led them to the game tying and game winning drives. Granted, they were on drives that basically stalled at the 33 and Robbie Gold had to make two long kicks, but, you know, he didn't piss the game away. So, I know, damning with faint praise. Uh, but that was that was the one that came in over is an overtime game where they beat the Seahawks in 06. And they were that close to not going to the or only our second yeah. Super Bowl ever. Only thing was missing was um, Matt Hasselbeck going, We're gonna win the toss right. and we're right. gonna score. You save right. that for another NFC yeah. North but it did have, Central I think team. T- Tommy Harris made a huge play, I think, to push them out of field goal range in overtime or something. Along those lines. Well, there's a lot of smart football people that'll tell you if Tommy Harris had been healthy for the Super Bowl, the Bears would have won. If Tommy Harris and Mike Brown yeah. were healthy, that, I that part, I, the if, if you get both, then I give you a, I give you a real shot. If you look out the window, you'll see Jeff Saturday is still pushing Tink Johnson backwards <laughs> onto a bed full of guns. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. The tank. When did I, I the tank? That, I have a lot of guns. Thing that was. That was like. That happened now. It was uh, that it happened like in December, I think. The but th- there was the guns, and then there was like him getting busted in a fight, like in River North, like in yeah. the city or something, like right after that. The unfortunate um, thing about the Tank Johnson, Todd Johnson era was <laughs> was the equipment. Tony Medlin deciding that he they people couldn't tell him apart, despite the fact that they have different numbers. One of them is a very large black man. One is a relatively small white right. football player, white man. That they he actually wrote Tank Johnson or you know sewed huh? Tank Johnson on Tank's jersey and Todd Johnson on Todd's. Oh. Really? Did we need? I don't. That? Rem- I, I don't remember Todd. Jo- In fact, I don't. Rem- I'll be. I'll be honest, Andy. I don't remember Todd. Jo- I vaguely remember. I know he was like a, he was a D back, right? Yeah, he was a Am white. There was nothing to remember. He was. He was no Terry Schmidt. It was no Terry Schmidt. We had another name for Schmidt, but. Um, T yeah, I, I do remember that the Tanks Johnson's full name was on his the back of his uniform. I remember that about him and the fact that he was uh, he was nowhere in nowhere near Tommy Harris's fucking. No, lead, the the drop off was precipitous, painfully obvious. Yeah, but I got to tell you, looking at this list of Falcon coaches is making me feel much better. So, who was the coach who replaced Jim Mora? And I will tell you that he did not make it through the entire season because he quit. A, fir- a first-year coach? That, oh, uh, that's our guy, Bobby Petrino? Bobby Petrino. No. Yes. Quit to go back to college. That's, <laughs> Three uh, games to go in the season. Wait, we have to back up quick because uh, was when you were talking, I don't think you revealed who the first uh, who the first coach was that left with a 500. Lehman Bennett, who took them to the playoffs three straight years, did he not have a winning record when he left Atlanta? And, oh, and you're right. Mean, oh, I, that's a bad miss. Yes, Lehman all right, Bennett. That's okay. That's all right. So, so he. How did I miss this? 46, 41, and zero. Five barely. Just barely. Yeah. And that so was he was their first. Trips. And then okay. they went and one, two, another three, twenty four, some odd years. Six, right? Was it Mike seven. Smith? Did he leave? Uh, uh, nope. Was... They went eight coaches, and uh, Jim L. Mora was twenty six and twenty two. 
Oh, right. You mentioned, I'm sorry. So you did actually mention their lat, Well, okay. then Bobby, that right. was unfortunate. Emma Thomas had to step in and finish the season. He went one and two. And now their last two coaches are well, Smith. Mike Smith, Smith is the winningest coach in Atlanta okay. Falcons history. 66 wins. 66, 46, and oh. So that's that's a, good. That's, a, that's know, good. 589, any, that's a that's a really any, good. For any organization, that's probably top three. They won two division titles, four playoff berths, and he was coach of the year in 2008. And then Dan Quinn is just over, 43 and 37. Okay. He coached, his, he coached them to the Super Bowl championship where they got out to that big lead against yep. the uh, against the uh, Patriots, and then they had the good sense to run the ball a few times in the fourth quarter. And oh, that's right, they didn't. And then, they... <laughs> yeah, epic. I the mean, thing I, started, I remember I... about that comeback was I don't know if you remember this. Julio Jones made one of the most insane catches in Super Bowl history, and right along the sidelines. And he thought, okay, he just saved them. It was a first down. It, they were going to keep the ball, keep going. They were in field goal range, and then their next three plays, they lost yards on. All of them. I do. I, I kind of remember that. But that one catch, that was the, okay, they're not going to blow this. Julio just saved their ass. Nope. Right. He didn't. In spite of that, wow, just the, the force was too strong. The combination of uh, Patriots, Juju, and the Falcons. I mean, the Falcons, yeah. Um, I guess you can't say they're totally nondescript. If they've got, they've got some, that's a pretty colorful loss to tag on a franchise. Yes, and they're living <laughs> but- it, we're reliving it this week. Because I, I, I heard Sunday they yesterday. Sunday yeah. they reenacted it, <laughs> right? But they're but they're otherwise in their veritable golden age. So Mike Smith is their winningest coach by wins and percentage, although he never took him to a Super Bowl, and the subsequent guy the subsequent guy does. So you know after after fifty fifty five years, um, they've actually you know reached what might be their golden age. Um, once again, it's a franchise. <laughs> you know it's. Th- Franchises that we don't really have to feel too bad about them lording their history over us outside of the Giants' recent success. But since we have a history that goes back to the 30s, it's pretty even. I mean, I mean, who, who do they play after the Falcons? Who do we talk about next week? The Colts. Okay. The Colts. It's the Phillip Rivers Colts, which is just really weird. Um, yeah, that is weird. Just looking through the uh, uh, footnotes on the coaches. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um Marion Campbell retired during a season. After 12 games, he said, oh, got to go. Um, Dan Reeves got fired after losing seven games in a row in his final season. And then this is the best note. Um, Petrino resigned just 13 games into the season to go coach at Arkansas. And we all remember what happened at Arkansas. He was driving on a motorcycle with his mistress. Yep. who also worked for him in the uh, football office, and he wrecked it and had to, and has the, the greatest um, press conference photo ever. He's got cuts all over his face and his head. He's got a neck brace on, and he's trying to explain what the hell happened. And uh, Arkansas said, yeah, uh, Bobby, you can go. And yet he's still, uh, he's still at a D1. Petrino? Um, sure he is. Is he still? Is he, Louis, where is he now? He's not in Louisville anymore. He did the two stints in Louisville. Louisville was for the Falcons and after Arkansas. Is that no? He's at um, he's at Missouri State. No, which, it's not D one. Yeah, he's in purgatory. Um, 
Yeah. So what is so that? So he got that... he he. So why would a guy go back to college? Well, maybe maybe I just answered me a question considering yeah. all the fun he was having right. until. But I mean, you're making more money in the NFL. Um, you're you know you don't have nearly as much of a month to month obligation throughout the year, right? I mean, I know it's a little bit different. Coaches tend to have more involvement in personnel, but well, he was he's won everywhere he's been in college. He's yeah. 119 and 56. Oh, I mean, I guess it's yeah. college, but he's just um, got to be such an insufferable prick to bounce. You have to be bouncing around. Yeah. So he coached at Louisville from 03 to 06, turned that into the Falcons job, quit that job, coached at Arkansas from 08 to 11, uh, got, had to resign or got fired and disgraced, right. took a year off, came back, coached at Western Kentucky for a year. I'm sure told them he's going to be there forever. Immediately hightailed it back to Louisville. Uh, where he's since been dumped. Although he coached Lamar Jackson to a Heisman. Okay, yeah. Um, and now he's okay. at Missouri State. Um, it, interesting. Yeah, he's had a very – and his brother, is it Paul Petrino, was the offensive coordinator at Illinois for a few years. Under Lavi or before? And he is the head coach at University of Idaho. Um. On the blue field, it was, was at Idaho State. He was only there for two years, ten to eleven. Is that Zook? Uh, yes, that was Zook's last two years, ten and eleven. The Idaho Vandals, who were have previously been coached by Dennis Erickson, so that's the kind of quality detour. That, uh, well, talk talk about. Uh, I'll, I'll try to bring this all the way back, but college coaches that have coached in the pros and vice versa. We mentioned Atlanta coaches and amongst them was June Jones, uh, who outside of his unique first name, <laughs> the, Fal- the Falcons have had coaches named Marion and June. Um, <laughs> not th- I mean, Hey, not that there's anything wrong with it. I think it's kind of funny though. With June Jones is that when he was at Hawaii, he objected to their university of Hawaii. He objected to their helmets or their logo, or their team being the Rainbows. And I think there is a case of a guy named June who just <laughs> protests too much. Well, they were the so they, they, they were the Rainbows, name. then they were the Rainbow Warriors, right? And then, now they're sound. just the Warriors? Or okay. are they the, I don't know. Now that we have to change it back. Well, I looked it up. See, I always degree. assumed, and this is ridiculous. So the, the little town I'm from, we had a guy, um, we had a guy named Ray Satness. And his son was Ray Satness Jr., and everybody called him Junie. Okay, Junior. Because that's probably see, that's see, probably the etymology of men named June. Then, because it's not he's not the first. It one, is but. not with June. He is June Sheldon Jones the third. Okay, so he can't even be Junior, but his real first name, his given first name, is June J U N E. Well, I I think the fact that he may have had the option of otherwise using his middle name until he saw that it was Sheldon. Yeah. And said, yeah, yeah, it's not any June. better. Call me June. But I was liked. I always thought it was, you know, he ran the he ran the run and shoot. Um, I mean, we used yeah, to he, joke about when, when the Lions hired Mouse, Mouse, Mouse Davis, Davis and to run the silver stretch offense. I don't know if you remember this, but the Lions at the time had the cart – that would come out on the field if for an injured player was a like a it was like a it wasn't really like one of those Cushmans that you see now. It was basically a golf cart with an extra long bed, but to class it up, it had this weird shell around it that looked like a football helmet. 
It was a lion's helmet. And the bears the bears are playing the lions, and somebody gets hurt. And my brother and I are watching the game, and the thing comes out, and I go, hey, look, it's the silver stretcher. <laughs> I cracked myself up. <laughs> I have to confess I don't quite recall that. I might, somewhere in the recesses of my mind. i got to find it. I'll, uh, I'll, try to find up. I'll try to find a picture of that. It was like the old bullpen cars with the uh-huh. with like the bats and then the the huge hat on top of it like the bats oh yeah oh yeah no except this was a this cars. this was a um this was a a football helmet and then it even had the face mask on it but the face mask like came out and then kind of stopped and then there was the platform there where they could put the injured player oh, on they should have actually made the front of the face mask like a swinging door it was very functional I mean, uh, I, somebody, you know, right. it's motor, it's motor yeah, city. Some, ge- some I mean, genius that, I mean, Ford Motor Company. Right. Yeah. Like, look at this. <laughs> right. Hey, yeah. I'm going to bring this over to the plant in Dearborn. You see if you can, uh, see if you can soup it up a little bit for, uh, bring, drive it up to Pontiac afterwards. And I probably dreamt it, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm sure you can find it. I'm going to, if you do, you'll have to post it. I'll yes, have to look I have it to too. find the thing because search for uh, Detroit Lions injury cart is showing just a lot of boring things but i'm sure there's one out there with an actual there i just found it holy shit are you serious it's the greatest nice. thing ever I it was actually the, uh... it's bigger than i thought it was it's not a golf cart it's a car basically okay but it it's got the full it's got a full face mask on it it is the most ridiculous thing <laughs> I mean, and, but apparently it's not alone because well this might have been it's nothing about talking like talking about pictures on an audio podcast, but um, po- there's two more to under on. it. One of them is a Bronco one, and one of them is a Cowboy one, and the Bronco one looks like a real car, and it looks like somebody's tailgating with it, which is cool. <laughs> the Cowboy one is obviously a cart, but the Bronco one, I think somebody was driving that. Th- probably the guy in the barrel was driving I, that thing yeah. two games. I like the idea of yeah coming in from the parking lot. Say, hey, hey buddy, we need to uh, we need to commandeer this. You, you can come along. <laughs> we gotta. Right. Hey, we gotta. Hey, if somebody gets hurt, can we borrow right. your car to go? Right. Yeah, keep, hell yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, just keep can I down. can I drive him to the hospital? You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Try to keep it to keep it to four, uh, keep it to five beers or under, and maybe you can you can drive um, Brett Perriman to the uh, hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it now, and that that's recent, right? That's not like a rel- I thought, or you you referenced the Mouse Davis, which would be like well, this might be the new. Or this something. might be the new version of it. But so they, they had something. Yeah, they had okay. something like it, and I remember calling it the Silver Stretcher. Yeah, regardless, you've definitely found. Oh, your, there's your, a great one. Um, picture to oh, go along is, with. I'm just. I think the the blog post is going to be all helmet cars. There's right, a, there's that. an incredible yeah. Houston Oilers one. Yeah, I'm looking at it, and that oh, is yes. an old one. You can tell from the tint. Oh, but even below that, obvious. there's one for every team. Oh, this is amazing. There's a bear one, which you're kidding. It looks like it's at like the Rose Bowl or something. They have all the teams. I bet it was the Super Bowl. They have them all lined up. The I'm sure the um, I wonder this is Hallis would have been alive. I guarantee you, they tried to sell it to him, and he was. Like, uh-huh. and he's like, no, no, no. I'll, uh, they're like, it's uh, yeah. George. We'll sell it to you for five grand. I'll give you twelve hundred bucks for it. You know what he did instead? He just gave them Michael's car. <laughs> Here's some Here. white paint. Soup it up. Just write a C on it. It'll be the same thing. Ah, oh, Dad, I don't want it. Grandpa, where's my car? Grandpa, yeah, Grandpa. Oh, God, what this franchise? Oh, helmet yeah. cars. Those are the best. Well, pro- now I really I need to buy one. That's what I want so to drive. The- oh, there's an old Lions one. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> 
So do the Falcons have one too? I'm looking at a Falcons one. The old with the, get, with the red. The, it's the red helmet with the uh, Falcons. Okay. Now the something Falcons get, redid their uniforms this year. Okay. And they're all really weird. Three, the three that are weird. I'm sure the one they'll wear on Sunday is they're all black. Because they're at home. Uh, the one improvement they made is that they went to like a um, they went to like a. I always like the look. Maybe I only like it when the Bears do it once a year, when the Bears go back to the gray face mask. Because I remember as a kid, when they went to the navy blue face mask, I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. But I do like a little throwback when you mix in the old gray face mask. The Falcons have like a chrome face mask that goes okay. with, their, with their new black helmets, which is pretty cool. Oh, the NFL has the ridiculous rule where uh, players can only have one helmet. So if you want to do something special, you have to do it to that helmet. So, like, that's why the Bears go with the relatively simple... Wait, um, you mean one, one helmet for a game, for a season? I'm not sure if... Well, I'll... like, you get you get a helmet, and if you break the helmet or whatever, then you get a second, you, you replace it. But, okay. you know, like, college football, players have, like, the Oregon must have, if they have 12 games, they have, the players literally wear 12 different helmets. In fact, at Notre Dame, they have a practice helmet and a game helmet so that they don't knock the fancy real gold off the other one in practice. They wear like these kind of right. dull gold ones. Unless they're playing Alabama. But in the NFL, as you know, because of concussion protocol, they, um, you have your helmet and then they apparently every day they make sure that it inflates properly or whatever. Else. Okay. And so it severely limits the looks that teams can have because Weird. your poor equipment guy has to take, has to take, um, you know, he's got to take, um, Mitch's helmet and get it Calibrate ready. It? Get it ready for Sunday. So if you know if you wanted to go with a, like a cool alternate design, they'd literally yeah. have to take that helmet and repaint it and do whatever. Okay. Um, so that's why the Bears typically last year they, they kind of had an exception because when they went to the throwbacks, which they are going to wear once this year, the their racist throwbacks where they had to apologize for before they ever wore right. it. Um, right. They went with like the it's kind of a quasi um, Princeton Michigan design on the front. You know, it mimics right. the old leather helmet with the stuff. But previous to that, they the only the, the most exciting they get is they put the old white C on without the without the mm-hmm. orange in the wishbone. Because that was, you know, we could have a couple of equipment guys sit around peel the stickers off the guy's helmets. It's not that much work. <laughs> um I don't know how I got on so, that tangent. But no, but so so what does happen if, if a helmet I know it you know Well no, you're a, allowed you really? can't like a player can't have two helmets. Okay. So, like, if you, you know, if you stick your head in there and you crack it or whatever, they give you, they de- they decommission your helmet. And okay. they give you a new helmet. Whereas, under the old days, you could have a locker full of helmets and just grab one for the game. Okay. I'm sure the Bears never did. I'm sure this is an old Bear rule, I'm sure, which was. Right. What's a guy need two helmets for? He doesn't have two heads. Right. This thing still works. <laughs> um, And they they do it under the guise of safety. That way they can, they can, every Every day, I suppose, they can check everybody's helmets to make sure they're functioning properly. Sure but what it means is you can't have, like, a cool second. Like, for a while, the Cowboys might still do it. The Cowboys have an alternate uniform where they, they break out a white helmet with a blue star. I've seen that. That's, well, that, that helmet itself is an old throwback, right? right. The one you're talking but about. If, but technically, if they want to do that, they have to take the guy's silver helmet and paint it and put the oh, star on They I can't just give saying. them, like, all right, here's your helmet for the week. Wear this one. The NFL won't let them do that. Whereas in college, it's like, who cares? You know, you ran out of helmets, put a pumpkin on your head. It'll be fine. 
That's what they do down at U of I. That's like, oh, we ran out of helmets, so we're gonna have to right. paint them all orange. And these, orange. the walk-ons can all wear pumpkins this week. Yeah, that's fine. They're not gonna play anymore. Anyway. Who cares? Uh. <laughs> Y'all were pumpkins. I, that's actually a good idea. I like that. It's not bad. Yeah, the color lines up. You know. All right. So that's. I think honestly, that might be all I have. Yeah. Time. I mean, we did our best to exhaust the uh, the relatively short and entirely, almost entirely nondescript Atlanta Falcons franchise. Yeah, they've only been around. F- what 54 years now. 54 years and they're and they're only in their golden age now yeah. so we just haven't had a chance were, to process they've been irrelevant for half of it yeah, like, yeah. like the bears have been irrelevant for half of it but theirs is 100 years so there's right you know, there's 50 good years to pick from well are they? yeah i mean you yeah. know looking down the road i think we can still pull this together you know the colts non-conference but they've got a history the buccaneers have a history with the bears which we could go on and on about from the 70s and 80s panthers might be tough you know, Rams could be fun. Saints, you know, there's there's material there, but yeah, the Falcons really sort of, I think, oh, uh, the Panther one. The I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit here for an hour and scream about Steve Smith. Yeah, I've never been so like scarred by one very small, angry well, running fast man running completely untouched <laughs> through the secondary for an entire playoff game. It was but, shocking. It's like, does somebody want to try to cover him? Maybe we're trying. Well, you're not trying hard enough. He was just a great receiver that just freaking lit him up. I mean, because I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to put any receiver who had a great day at the worst possible time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we might that might be a stretch that week, but uh, having talked for an hour about the Falcons gives me confidence that uh, we we can we can we can do that with the Panthers. We'll find it. You're talking to a guy who yesterday on purpose relived the uh, Chris Conti Packer game. For, oh. for the newsletter because that year was the last year until now that the Bears started 2-0. Wait, well, what, what, which uh, is that a Washington game or no? Or is it a Carolina game? No, remember the – it's uh, it was uh, 2013, last game of the season. Bears are – Oh, the Packers. Yeah, Chris, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Bears yeah. are 8-7, I, I, Packers are 8-6-1. and one. All you got to do is beat the Packers. That was the game where. Yeah, I, I know. Right. The you, fourth were you down. There? I'm sure you were there. No, I was not at that oh, one. That's well, my dad's house. Yeah, yeah. Right. They leave the fumble laying on the ground. Nobody picks it up. Packers pick it up, score a touchdown. Yeah. And, and then fourth and, and fourth and eight from the 48. Yeah. All you got to do is stop them. Season's over. It was. Uh, everybody, also plays, not- everybody plays man except for Conte, who yeah. uh, lets the guy go behind him. And then there's, and of course, Aaron Rodgers is going to see that. Was it, it was not just, the same? Was that not the same season though, earlier in the year where they lost a stupid like forty-eight to forty-two game against Washington? I want to say where Conte was absolutely brutal there. Maybe not. I'm pretty sure. Wasn't I don't that know. the game where Conte tried to knock the? Yes. Yeah, right before halftime, there was a hail yes, mary, and he tra- he knocked the ball was. back that's out the on, towards the field, and a receiver caught it and walked into the end yeah. zone for a touchdown. Yeah. It's also the season where uh, Trestman had Robbie Gold kick the overtime field goal on second. Which round. I was, believe it or not, in attendance for that one, even though it was in Minnesota. I traveled 400 miles to get my nuts kicked in. Um, that was a good time. It was the last Bears game in the Metrodome. But that Packers game, just to finish, right about the coverage and content and everything else, but I'd already sort of sour. I'd begun to sour on Cutler by that point. That was another game where Cutler could have put that game away with some – you know, completions down the stretch didn't, didn't do it either. So, you know, 
So the Bears actually started 3-0 and that year. They uh, they beat the Steelers on Sunday night. I remember that. 40-24. to Everybody's feeling great. But I'm looking at the stats of this morning. The Steelers almost gained 500 yards in that game. They it was a weird it game. Times. And Culler so, had a few turnovers in the first half in that game. It so was a weird game. I, it, it became very clear to me that was the that was the highlight. That was the as good as it ever got for Mark Trestman. No, the, as good as it ever got was right before Gold's kick, because you know he makes if Trestman doesn't panic. Well, yeah, but they had just, lost like five yeah. of their last eight going into that game. Oh, that is that was right? Gonna, okay. Yeah, that was okay. going to bail okay. them out. And they okay. would have if he'd have made. If, you know, they only had to win one of those two games. They would have made the playoffs, yeah. and they lost. Yeah. Um, but he he was three and zero, and everybody's riding high. But if you looked at it, you're like that defense, the Mel Tucker defense. Well, is you know, bad. That was, was that the, the season that started with Lance Briggs not showing up because he wanted to open a restaurant in California. Maybe, maybe not. But that was the only season, Andy, in our lifetime as Bears fans since basically 1980, let's say, where. The only season where a, a a genuine contender was derailed by a poor defense, and every other year yeah, they've always right. had good defenses, right. and they just didn't have what it took on offense to put them over. Um, even '01, you know, with Fat Philip Daniels on the end and 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 Keith Trailer and Keith Washington, or uh, Keith Trailer and Ted Washington, uh, you know, Erlacher, Holden, Colvin, good defense. You know, uh, you know, '94. I mean, always it was like the the offense couldn't get it going that year. That offense, whether it was Cutler or McCown. They could do no wrong, it seemed, but the defense just absolutely let them down. Well, so yeah, they that, had Brandon yeah, Marshall right. and Alshon. They had Forte. They had Martellus Bennett. Man. They had a man. Comp, they had actually a good offensive line still. It was still the remnants of the one Lovey had had. Yep. Yep. Olin wasn't hitting Fred Miller in the face with a weight. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And the, but they couldn't. They're still they the Bears. Stop. They couldn't stop them, right? So they couldn't it's score. Just, they, they couldn't score enough to make up for a bad defense, which was a very unusual position for us to be in as fans. To you know, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's how I remember the 2013 Bears. All right, well, see, I I still I still love this podcast because what, what I want to do someday is go through and like chart what topic <laughs> to topic. And how we got somewhere. I mean, and then I, we always unearth stuff that I that one of us has only kind of remembered. Like the, I, I vaguely remembered Jim Mora somehow screwing himself over by, I thought he actually coached at University of Washington. It turns out he didn't even do that. He just said, "Yeah, I might want to coach there someday." And then and I, Arthur Blank I, fired his ass. I'm still fascinated to relearn that Bobby Petrino walked out of the NFL, a big fat NFL contract before his first season so yeah i, I like we, we put our heads together and, and and we you know accurately recall some of these things but it, it, it's kind of fun to you know have that ability to you know spark another memory and just, oh yeah i totally forgot about that i'm sure so. it's one of those where people sit and yell at their phone like no no <laughs> i know i would be you're not you do not remember any of that it's right. show meant for me yeah except you're on it so right it's a conundrum all right, well, good. Well, so next week uh, we'll uh, launch with the Colts, I suppose. Yeah, bring it on, Indy, Baltimore. All right, thanks, Andy. Go All Bears. Right. Many of us have herpes. 